design and creativity, but design in particular has been continually decentralized and and, uh, democratized and and more and more people are being brought into the fold, a certain level of design thinking and execution, even if it's not their, their formal day job to do that work. And so we're having to look at that and we're having to find those people to talk to, to see how we can help them uh, and serve their needs too, which is really exciting to be a part of that whole movement. That's been really exciting to we sort of stumble into it and be a part of that as it's grown over time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Overtime. This is Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cederholm, your host, and this is episode 31 with Jaron Lamson. Jaron is currently chief design officer at Creative Market. A uh, great company that's been a great partner of Dribbles over the years. Um, I think we share a lot in our mission and goals and community. And even our CEO, um, Zach Onisco, um, was a big part of Creative Markets growth uh, over the years. So it's a great talk with Jaron. We get to hear about his path from alligator hunting as a kid through uh, creating your own fonts and side projects, and going into agency work, and making fried chicken parallax happen. It's true. I'm not making this up. And, uh, you know, transitioning from agency work to startup at Creative Market. So it's a a great, great conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. This week's episode is brought to you by Wix.com. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours with Wix. And uh, we'll talk more about Wix further on into the episode. I also want to again mention uh, Hangtime Seattle. This is Dribble's uh, big uh, one-day event in Seattle on May 15th. Tickets are available uh, at a discounted uh, price right now, so you're going to want to go grab tickets while they're available. We've got quite a schedule planned for Hangtime Seattle uh, lots of cool guests and speakers and activities and an after party. And you're going to want to come hear uh, Aaron Droplin speak and uh, Dana Tanamachi and Nathan Yoder and Koi Vin, among many others. So just go to dribble.com slash hangtime for more info and to get tickets. And we'll see you in Seattle. But for now, let's get on with our chat with Jaron Lampson. Welcome to Overtime, Jaron Lamson. Hey, thanks, Dan. So excited to be here today. Yeah, thanks for taking the time with us. Um, very excited. There's so much to talk about here. Uh, the, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've done a little research and have some pretty interesting. Uh, I think you have some stories from your past that are pretty cool and stuff you're working on with Creative Market. Just your path to becoming a designer and. There's a whole bunch of stuff, so I'm excited about it. Um, I guess I'll start. I mean, it'd be cool to hear how you got to where you are. I think is is going to be is going to be really fun. And um, I I have to ask right off the bat about alligator hunting with your dad, <laughs> um, and how that that sort of like what ha- you know what's the story there? And then and I assume this is when you were when you were younger, but. Yeah, uh, we can start there. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a family. Uh, we were seven total. I had four four brothers and sisters, and uh, I was the 
shyest, quietest one out of the out of the group. And so about the age of five or six, my dad was always trying to figure out like special outings and activities to take each one of us to individually. And he thought, I think I think Jerry needs to get out of his shell a little bit. So I know some people uh, in, in the community. We, I lived in uh, Louisiana that had some tags for alligator hunting, which is something we, we rarely ever hunted. So I was like, <laughs> okay, we're going to go do this fun thing. And I'm not sure I was told up front what the thing was, but ended up going <laughs> alligator hunting um, with these two <laughs> Cajun guys, with pistols on their hips and in a little like Piro fishing boat. Um, they're throwing like whole chicken breasts on hooks over into the water. And I'm like super small. I could fall <laughs> over and be the bait myself into the water in the bayou. Um, but it was, it made a big impression on me. Um, I mean, I was scared to death. It's such a crazy, terrifying thing to experience being such a young child. But, um, you know, we did, we did catch one and then, and in the end, looking back on it and I talked to my dad about it later, it really, uh, it challenged me to, to, be okay in very uncomfortable situations, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I bet that's crazy. Um, I didn't know you could hunt alligators. First of all, that's, that's a new one. Yeah. There's some shows I think on A&E or something that, that talk about that, but I mean, (laughs) we weren't in that community of people, but, uh, he he knew a guy and and that's what we did. (laughs) Wow. And, and then did you, did you get one that day or, yeah, we did. Um, and there's a picture of me sitting on top of it that, that my dad blew up and then gave to me later. Uh, it's just a, <laughs> a really weird day. I think it kind of burned in the back of my head. You got to take your fears wow. head on, even if you don't really want to choose to do that for an activity with your father. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. All right. We're going to have to get a hold of that picture <laughs> if you allow it. Sure. Um, that's, ama- that's amazing. So you grew up in, in Louisiana, right? You know, what was design... Was that something always that you knew that you you had in you, like you were going to do later on in life? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I didn't have the word for it, um, and I was certainly into you know creative experiments and crafts um, of all sorts, drawing, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, I, I even liked things like organizing. My father had a coin, my grandfather had a coin collection, and he wanted me to like do spreadsheets and organize and put pricing and details on all that. So these sort of projects that. I really enjoyed even coming up with like my own video games that I wanted to send to NES, right? To, to, to build. Oh um, yeah. Wow. They all kind of led up to a point where design started to make sense. Um, but I didn't really know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That that's cool. I, I, I kind of have a similar experience in, when growing up, you know, I didn't, I knew I was, I knew I was into these things, but I didn't know that was design or I didn't think about that people have made a living doing this or creating this stuff. Um, I wish I had known it earlier. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> and, and so, you know, growing up in, in Louisiana, was, was there, were you aware of a design scene there at all? Or is that sort of much later when you, when you went off to college or. Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, there is a really strong um, arts and cultural scene uh, in Lafayette where I grew up. Um, and in Louisiana in general, it's very unique for the southern part mm-hmm. of the United States. So th- that at least showed me that there was an appreciation for particular points of view on on creativity. But it wasn't until I went to college and I went up to Portland State in Oregon where it's just like, I don't know if I can pick a major in fine arts. I'm going to be poor and not make a living. And I saw graphic design as an option. I was like, that kind of sounds maybe a little bit more interesting and I might survive in that Um so yeah, that's kind of when I started learning about it and getting more into it. 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. That that makes sense. And and I I hear through the grapevine that you jumped into the web just right after college and like me, believe it or not, dabbled in front page, Microsoft front page. <laughs> uh, while while you were learning <laughs> oh, while no. you were learning web design is that is that accurate can can we confirm that yeah yeah so i got a bfa and had a focus on printmaking and branding and packaging and poster design and stuff like that and i did take some courses and i guess they called it multimedia back then um web design mm, yeah, i think yeah. dreamweaver had just come out uh, but right after graduating uh, my first job i landed was pretty much all web design and i i basically learned about HTML and CSS through what the garble that front page pushes out once you're building sites and had to (laughs) reverse engineer my education there um, on what good web design practice looked like (laughs) back then. Do you think it was a good, like I I look back at that too and and like it does spit out some terrible code and obviously some, I mean, browser bugs were were certainly a bigger bigger problem back then. But in, in a sense, like because it was so bad, it kind of forced you to learn how to fix things, <laughs> you know, instead of like, if it just spit out perfect code, then maybe we wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have gone on to, to really learn it, you know? Yeah, there might, that's a really good way to put it. There might not be a better way to learn things than just getting thrown into the middle and having to thrive. Yeah. Cause later on it was like, Oh, a client needs these things. I, I've got to learn JavaScript or have to adapt these plugins in a certain way. And, it definitely set up that mode of operating. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah, and and uh, and so you went, you le- you had focus on uh, print and and identity design in, in school, but then the web kind of was self. You were self taught on, on the web, other than some some classes. But that's the thing is is nowadays you you can go and get a, I assume you get a degree in CSS or something. <laughs> but back then you. You know, it was multimedia and it was sort of uh, all put together. Did you find you enjoyed learning on your own better than than sitting through a class about design? Or, um, Yeah, I think so. I mean, it definitely, I don't know if other people experience this, but it definitely puts you on edge, right? You get a little more stress and anxiety, like, I've got to learn to figure this out because I'm building something for myself or or for a client. Um, and there's expectations there. Whereas in a class, it could even be kind of like a paint by numbers thing. Like everyone make an iframe based website of, I don't mm. know, an NBA teams like team schedule or something. And yeah, yeah. Um, it, the, the sandbox is much smaller and forces you to learn a particular technicality, but there's not as much room to play. And I think that's where a lot of the good growth comes from. Yeah, it totally does. And and you definitely played after that, my goodness. So, I mean, you know, you went on. So let's let's go through like after school, um, you're, you're self teaching yourself uh, web design, HTML, and stuff. And then where where was the career path at that point for you? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I stumbled into like just a generalist disposition. Right, the web was was growing in its maturity. Um, it was the good old days when you could just make a website and didn't care much about like image optimization and, and stuff like that. Uh, responsive wasn't a thing, all that. So I had a couple agency yeah. experiences where I, I kept digging in deeper to the website, but I did a bunch of other things too. Um, specifically, I did a lot of environmental work and signage work that um, still is around in San Antonio where I moved after college. 
Um, that was really interesting that I was doing that and web at the same time. Uh, those things were starting to have some overlap and I was making connections there that were valuable, but kind of wore a lot of different hats, did a lot of brand work, did a lot of print work still. Um, and then just kept honing in on, on, uh, on digital and then moved up to Austin. I worked at a place at Springbox where I really started digging deep. And it's weird to think back on, I was thinking last week, like, wow, I, I worked in this agency for two and a half, three years. And I didn't talk to a single user and was building stuff for dozens of clients and all their customer bases. And like, that seems completely upside down to how things operate now. But yeah, mm. that was an interesting journey. Yeah, for sure. Totally. That's yeah, that is interesting. So it was sort of an insulated, um, safe cocoon in a way mm-hmm. <laughs> when, you're, when you're making stuff that way. So you're doing agency work. The, the journey from that to, you know, you're currently you're a, a chief design officer, right? At, at creative market. How did you get from point A to point B there? Uh, a lot of tripping and stumbling. I'm, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I started to, to recognize that it was hard to empathize and gain really deep understanding of each client and what they're trying to do and who their target customers were. It's just the nature of a lot of agencies. And back then, I think the churn was even greater. It wasn't like, we have a retainer and you're going to work on something for a year or two. It was like, you got two or three months. Um, and so from going from you know small boutique agencies wearing lots of hats to medium level interactive agencies focusing on fewer clients and just doing digital work, to then getting into advertising, I, I got to a point where the, the churn was a little bit of a burnout, right? Um, we weren't able to dig on to a particular problem or set of users uh, in a deep way. And um, I started doing a lot of really creative experiments on the side to scratch that mm-hmm. itch because of this, the narrow sandboxes that I, I was finding during my day job. And I think that started to lead me down a different path at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about those because that's, I find that those creative side projects always are always useful and sometimes lead to career changing trajectories. Right. But yeah, tell us what you're experimenting with. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of space. Um, I started getting back into like my roots in printmaking. I took so many printmaking courses in college. I almost got a minor in it, but um, started self teaching myself screen printing, which is something that I skipped in college uh, and started producing some work at, out of my house with my wife and selling stuff on Etsy. Um, I was doing a lot of drawing and I started really being interested in fonts. I mean, fonts are one of those things that I feel designers, um, you just kind of use and it's hard to have an appreciation for what goes into making them until you understand it. And I didn't understand it and I wanted to learn it. So kind of dug into that, started teaching myself fonts, um, started putting them out there, available for people, sell them for a couple bucks because I undervalued my work at the time. Um, but you know, up until that point, um, a lot of those experiments were, were just play. I even put it on my website. I, I talked about it as like play projects, but really I think they were leading up to, to what I'm doing today. Uh, when I look back at things. Yeah, that's always, it's always useful. Um, cause I think there's some passion there, right? Like, you, uh, that's the thing about side projects for, for, that I've found is that, you know, I mean, client works fun in a way mm-hmm. sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes it isn't right. So like, uh, you know, doing some things that you're, you're actually passionate about and it's not driven by, I don't know, revenue or a deadline, right. can be super helpful. I mean, you've, you made a, uh, 
you learned how to make fonts and just did it, right? Is that, I wonder if you could tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I started doing was like, you know, tapping some people that I know, like what, what programs you use, that kind of stuff. Cause I was really interested in trying to bridge like the handcrafted stuff that I was having a lot of fun playing with, whether it was like lettering or things I was drawing and turning into multi-layer screen printed prints, um, that mm. side of, of, of craft and art into, um, fonts because I think there was a still a strong skeuomorphic and interest in movement around craft and web design, which started to to go down from there at that point. But uh, got into some tutorials with Font Lab, um, started drawing some stuff, vectorizing it, bringing it in, like a lot of the same skills that I was using in some of the identity work um, and illustration work were were directly applied there. But there's a lot a lot of nuance in font design of each individual letter form and then how they work as a set and then how you Kern and then other considerations, you know, diacritics and all that. Um, so as I cracked mm-hmm. it open, I was like, well, there's a lot here. So I, I started pretty minimal and did a test, um, just basically a Sharpie marker um, and, and tried that out. I was like, okay, I kind of get it. Like, let me try it going deeper. And then after um, producing, you know, two or three individual fonts, I was like, well, let me try a family. So I, I kept going deeper. And I think every time I went deeper, um, I started to learn some of the nuances. And I have a a strong appreciation for anyone doing any level of font design because it's it's a beast it's a difficult a difficult path yeah yeah Yeah, i i briefly dabbled creating a (laughs) like a um, pixel art font you know years ago years and years ago and didn't know what the heck i was doing and and just used i think it was font lab too and what what I was curious, like not not to nerd out too much on this, but like, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's do it. Let's nerd out, um, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, yeah, like f- what what tools you you actually use to create the font? Um, and uh, I think it's interesting asking someone who just kind of decided to learn it and taught themselves, rather than someone who you know was trained over years in school or something how to do it. Like, how did you? Uh, you said some tutorials, but like what, what actually software did you use to, to create them? Yeah. So, um, font lab first, uh, and then I got a little bit more into type tool, which I think is the lighter version of what they offer. Um, but I, I wanted to learn the technicalities first, how to port over vector forms from illustrator into either of those programs, how to scale them all the right way, um, you know, from baseline to X height, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then even like, the needs around how to kern well like some of my early fonts were like too heavily kerned kind of like junior rookie mistakes of like the kerning so tight where someone might want to use it and they like got to add 50 or 100 uh to it you know they got to they got to space it out so um learn some of those lessons but uh, at a certain point um I wanted to keep going deeper and I just ran out of time um, after we started building creative market. I've done a few things since then, but you know, all these new apps keep showing up about design fonts directly in Photoshop and illustrator or upload mm. some, some things over here and, and it'll spit stuff out for you. So I was really interested in that side of it, but I have a deep respect for the craft and I didn't really get to the depths that I think a lot of pro font designers have gotten to. Yeah. It seems like there's, it's a endless, kind of <laughs> discipline that you could get you can you can go down a rabbit hole um in a good way i guess uh when designing you know type and um but that's that's incredible and it, it, what's cool about this too is that you're you're creating 
fonts, which is a digital asset, right? Uh, which is a great segue into creative market, which is, you know, a marketplace designed for, for people like you to sell fonts and other, other digital stuff. So there's that, was that, was your font design, uh, before, or during your time at creative market or it was definitely before. Um, yeah. but I kind of lucked out that it lined up because so in full disclosure, I found the, the job listing for the creative market, um, design director role on the dribble job board when it was very young, I, I guess a year in or so in early 2012, maybe. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. And okay. So, and <laughs> we're not, we're not paying you to say this, right? We just, <laughs> no, this is uh there's no, there's no contract uh, behind here. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. I mean, y- y'all really help connect the, the community and my, my start at creative market was connecting to Aaron, who's now the CEO through that job listing. Um, wow. And so I was doing some font design and kind of scratching that itch um, on the weekends and at night while I had the agency job. But one of the turning points for me is this story about uh, parallaxing fried chicken that I'll tell real quick. So, um, Okay, please do, because <laughs> I've never heard parallaxing fried chicken spoken before, and I'm really excited about this now. Well, my, yeah, maybe it's a hashtag. I don't know. Um, oh, it will be after this. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I was working in an agency, and um, – you know, we were we were pitching a lot. I was told it was an abnormal season of pitching where I was working overtime through the weekends and even up until like a Monday and Tuesday and be like, oh, you, you could take a Wednesday or Thursday off and doing that like three times a month. Um, but we got into the holidays and everyone was was going away, uh, seven, eight hundred person agency going away for, for Christmas. Um, and I, maybe my name got pulled out of a hat, but um, I was one of the few people who knew Webb there. Um, and we were going to do a pitch for Pie Pies and they brought in an outside creative director and there was one of the two other people with me inside the agency and I had to work up until and through part of Christmas on this, but we ended up with this, um, crazy idea when parallax was starting to be a big thing where the, <laughs> I'm going to hate saying it, but the, the raw chicken was like falling down the page, going through the oil and the spices and the fryer and just this really just insane, right? <laughs> Visual idea. That what, <laughs> what person would want to see this and want to go eat this food? Um, and this would be the homepage, but we did this thing and I, I really got burned out at that point. And I said, I, this doesn't make sense. I don't think we're going to win the pitch and we didn't. Um, so it was at that point, it was like, I'm really having a lot more fun doing these creative projects and I need to try to find a, a path that gets me closer back to that while still capitalizing mm-hmm. on, on all the years of experience I was digging deeper into web stuff. So um, that's where yeah. things kind of came to a head. And then the dribble job board, I saw that listing and I was like, that kind of merges like all these things, like uh, all the things started to make sense. And then once I met Aaron and, and we hit it off and had a great conversation, the rest ended up being history. Wow. Uh, first, First of all, I'm pretty hungry now. Um, <laughs> even more so than when we were talking about alligators. But that's incredible. Uh, I've got. Is that still viewable? The the chicken going through the because I'd love to. I'd love to see that. That that sounds. It sounds like a really good use of parallax. Actually, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the oh, the pitch shoot. didn't win, and we were actually prototyping it. Um, one of the front end engineers that I worked with, he and I were the only ones at that time doing web work there. We were trying to make it work so we could demo it to the client. I don't remember what level of fidelity mm. we got to, but I actually found it on some of my old archives, um, and I need to pull it. Uh, I looked at it two months ago, and I was like, I don't, I 
this is insane that we did this, um, <laughs> but I need to go. I need to go to bring it back up because it, it was. I think you do. I think that's great because there's there's so much. Um, you mentioned like when Parallax was popular, and, and there there was a time when it was sort of being used for all sorts of stuff. Um, but that sounds like a like an, a legitimately good way to use it. You know, where you've got this thing that's falling through something, and um, I, I love like really creative uses of that that makes sense, you know, uh, and not just for, not just for frivolous things moving around, right. They're moving around for a reason kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not sure the reason <laughs> I'm showing a user, <laughs> the raw chicken's a good one, but I do remember very specifically one, one evening we were working late and I was like, this is putting my Photoshop retouching skills to a whole uh. another level of test to make raw chicken look <laughs> not disgusting. <laughs> And I was oh like, gosh, yeah, I can imagine that actually. Yeah, um, I was like, I think I, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with this. <laughs> so, so like, um, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts has like when there's profanity, they have to put a little e next to the episode. Um, but I wonder if there's something for for uh, vegetarians that we might have to put on there um, for this episode, but. I think you're definitely um, going to have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I can imagine, I can imagine tofu being similar, similarly difficult to, to make look appetizing in Photoshop. Um, you know, just like the, the glistening, uh, white, <laughs> glistening white cubes of, of soy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, food styling. It's a whole other, yeah. it's not food. It's all chemicals. It just looks like it. <laughs> it just looks like it, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, so this is incredible. Uh, fried chicken parallax plus dribble job listing has led you to creative market. And this was, this was quite a few years ago, right? When you yep. first started there. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. And, um, Creative Market and Dribble have have been we've always worked together well over the years, and and uh, we've always had a great appreciation for you know the the way um, Creative Market's handled everything, like branding from branding and interface to you know the community and and the service it provides, and it just seems to be uh, we I think we share a lot of value, similar values in terms of, you know, why we're building what we're building and, and how we do it. Um, was that, you know, tell us about the team and, and kind of your evolution of your role from when you started to, to now where, where you're the, the chief designer there. Yeah. I mean, first let me say thanks for those kind words. I, I think the feelings mutual about dribble. And I think a lot of people have a great level of respect and appreciation for, stewarding the community and everything on the brand and product side you guys do it's it's no easy feat right it, it takes a ton of energy and effort and a lot of people yeah. to do it um yeah you're right you're right yeah it's it, so thank you yeah absolutely i mean early on um you know we were we were small and scrappy and it, you know when i joined there was just myself and one other uh, sort of more junior designer and um oh wow you know the, the mvp that we built with the marketplace took six to seven months ish. Um, and the only thing that was really going for us was, um, we had initially a brand, we had a logo, um, type that needed some work, uh, and the color green, uh, and sort of a, a general spirit and a mood we wanted to, to put together. So we knew we wanted to feel approachable and crafted and, and feel like it was 
by creators and designers for them. We wanted to feel like a, a digital farmer's market. Um, uh, wow, I like that. For, yeah. for designers. I mean, there was one one weekend, I remember Aaron sent me some photos of a New York farmer's market. And like, how do we make it feel like this? And I was like, that's a really good sentiment. Um, mm. And then from there, as the web sort of stripped away textures and, and skeuomorphism and stuff, I was like, well, I don't know how we retain that spirit when we start losing all those elements that we originally built. Uh, but the team was small and um, really up until about two months ago, and I've been at Creative Market for about six years next month, um, we, you know, I, I was doing both making and managing, which which is its own thing to unpack. But um, for a very long time, I was in the in the weeds doing both brand and product work alongside at least one or two other designers. And then about two, two and a half years ago, things really started to open up. Uh, the team got up to about four or five on the design side, shrunk back down a little bit. Now we're up to seven. Um, so for a long, long time, it felt like I have to be building these things. And then there got to be a certain point when it felt like I really want to support the other people coming into the, the company on the design team of taking things and progressing it to the next level. And so somewhere along the way, like just month over month, my mentality kept shifting towards I really want to support others taking this to to a whole nother level. Yeah. 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 How how cool is that? Because, you know, going back to your, your background, like, uh, you know, creative side projects and and creating digital stuff. And now you're, now you're helping create this marketplace that, that uh, people similar to you can use to sell stuff. It just seems like it was meant to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from the beginning, we've always thought about how do we put enough brand there so people know where they are and what the spirit of the company is, but how do we also get out of the way? Because I, you know, I made a statement a few months ago where I really, I think our creators and shop owners, their user-generated content is is most of the brand experience itself. And so how do you surround and support yeah. that, but also get out of the way? It's been a really big thing we've we've tried to steward well, and it's a, it's a difficult problem to solve for sure. Yeah, it is. And and that sounds very familiar with Dribble in the, the early days, especially, you know, I think it's, that was our goal was, was, was just getting out of the way, kind of having the UI and the brand sync to the background while you've got the user generated stuff. It is difficult though. Um, and um, you, you guys have done a, an awesome job with that too, though, in creating like, there's just enough personality where it's not overbearing, right? That you're right. It is really super difficult. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I mean, how, how do yeah. y'all steward? Because um, a, a brand is sort of what your users and customers talk about it and think it is, and tell each other what it yeah. is more than maybe what you're able to put out there and influence them to think about it. It's a real, a yeah. real push Very and pull true. there. Yeah. So, like, how have you stewarded what, how people perceive and think of dribble? Because I know there have been lots of different articles and conversations about <laughs> it over the different phases and chapters you've had yeah that's, that's a really good question because <laughs> we've had some you know over the years we've had different opinions um things written you know we're killing the design industry for instance um i think we've had that uh, one too over yeah. here oh you have oh good oh so we're not alone so we <laughs> we should man if we banded together imagine what we could destroy um but <laughs> but that's the thing I, I think is you have to remember that you know no website or brand or company is, is going to please everybody. And you kind of just have to stick to your, your guns and, and um, believe in what you're doing and, and know that, uh, you know, not everyone's going to be happy, but that's okay. Um, I think, 
Yeah. Well, to answer your question, though, I I don't. I think it's just continually trying to be restrained in terms of visually the brand. Anyway, um, you know, you're right in that the brand is bigger than just what you think it is or what you're projecting mm-hmm. out visually, and it's what people think and say and. And that really comes down to to people, I think, and the team that we've assembled and mm-hmm. um, how they – how we're all kind of community stewards, really, you know, no matter what you're doing at, at the company. I imagine that's similar at Creative Market, right? Yeah. I mean, w- what you're talking to is like one of my favorite things these days to build and invest in and, and um, grow here is just company culture because – when you think about it too, I mean, Creative Market's got a strong community. Dribble has a really strong community. Like the sorts of best parts of those communities that you see externally, you, and to a certain degree, at least from my perspective, you want those things, the spirit of those things to line up with how people operate and think internally too on the team. And so when those things yes. line up and both sides know what those things are, I, I think something really meaningful and powerful can happen. So I wanted to pause here and tell you more about our sponsor for this week's episode. It's Wix.com. And with Wix, the web is your playground. Start with a blank slate and design your website in any layout you want. Work with advanced features like retina-ready image galleries, custom font sets, and sophisticated design effects. Each feature is intuitive to use, so you're in control from design to live. With Wix, you'll have real creative freedom to tell your story online exactly the way you envisioned it. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours. Go to Wix.com slash Dribble to get started today. That's Wix.com slash Dribble. Wix, what will you create? You've just launched uh, Creative Market Pro, which is, I think, a brand new product of yours. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that and maybe the process around getting that out the door um because you said you're around seven seven designers on the team now yeah there's there's seven of us um so one of the things that we saw um with creative market um early on and even through the last three years a few years has just been uh that it's into being a catch-all bucket for a lot of different types of users um there are a lot of different creators and shops making all kinds of different things and there's even a wider pool of customers across industries and locations and different skill levels doing different types of creative projects. It's really, really wide. And so one of the things that we started hearing and seeing was um, that while we're serving kind of the greater community fairly well, um, on the professional side, there's a lot of problems, right? When you when you think about how people operate in agencies and in-house teams, there's levels of payment and permissions going up, you know, the org structure for what you can use and when. There are stipulations on licensing for clients. There's all kinds of things that um, creative market, the marketplace really wasn't serving well. And so we wanted to try to create a product that that served those needs that we were hearing and seeing. And so, you know, we made it a curated design asset subscription really built to help creative professionals and teams do great design work fast. And so it has a lot of the same mm-hmm. spirit of the marketplace, but we changed a bunch of things. Um, and it has extra layers of curation in it as well, in the hopes of better serving uh, that group of people that we weren't serving and reaching very well today. Oh, that's great. So I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it right now and then there's some 
amazing stuff on here, actually, <laughs> of course. And um, so it's, it's the idea that you can, it's sort of subscription based where I could go in and say, I want, I want to, I want creative market pro. And then that gives me unlimited access to stuff that creative market community folks have said, okay, yeah, let's let creative market pro people uh, also access this. Yeah. I mean, all of the great work that you see, it's, it's not us. It's just, we have an amazing group of creators and designers making beautiful, affordable, easy to use work across a lot of different asset types. But really we wanted to build this with a fresh perspective on the sort of old school stock industry um, that that really hasn't changed a lot in years. So it, it doesn't even, when you look at this and you compare it to things like iStock and Shutterstock and some of these other places, it doesn't feel like that at all. Um, because a lot mm. of those platforms ended up being equated with common, ordinary content, things that don't feel progressive and able to really enhance what you're doing. And so the brand and the product UI that we wanted to build here um, was to complement and serve and enhance all of that side of it. But uh, yeah, there's different different tiers that you can get, different amounts of downloads, 10, 25, um, unlimited uh, there's features in it that really support teams. You can, there's team accounts. You can have a, an admin and a bunch of team members. You can organize assets by projects. You can bring in clients to look at those projects and say, like, yay or nay, don't use these things. Um, there's different levels of licenses now. They're targeting more on the commercial side with you know up to 250000 legal indemnification. Um, so there's a lot of things we put in place that I think uh, teams and in-house yeah. teams would find really useful. Yep. Yeah, and that's like, great for pushing the stock stuff the stock industry forward right i mean there's i won't mention the competitors names again you actually were nice to mention them i've never heard of them before so <laughs> um but, but i mean i imagine it's a competitive uh landscape it is and it's a bit fragmented too you know we've looked at the history of things and uh, you know the industry really kind of all know this started around photos and then sort of fonts became a big part and then video and so and then illustration so they've been ramping up into these different categories as we see in demand and so coming out of the gate we wanted to have all these categories on the marketplace and um, mm. with creative market pro we also want to have that same approach and try to give that one central place for people to use one product instead of having accounts you know strewn across a couple of them um, right. But, you know, we started a lot with with user and market research, going back to your original question, um, the build. And, you know, we even saw that like more than half of the Fortune 500 companies have users on the marketplace. But we found a lot of people were using creative market for side projects and freelance work um, and different things like that. That wasn't really the day to day sort of B2C, B2B, like big org and team project level work. And so we had a big solve to make there with Creative Market Pro. Um, and, you know, where it goes from here, there's still research is never done, right? It's, it's you're always evaluating yeah. and learning what's happening and what people actually need versus what you perceive that they need. So there's even more we have to learn. Um, but we put our best foot forward. The, the build was about, again, sort of a six-month timeline. It was a good a good bit of research and discovery up front and some stuff that happened along the way. Um, it engaged the whole team. The, this is an entire team effort, mm-hmm. a, you know, a team of over 25 people. Different people worked on different specifics. You know, we had groups working on uh, licensing to shop owner split to um, the product build itself to branding to brand positioning, market research, all of it. So 
it really took the whole team to get this off the ground, which is super exciting that everyone got to touch it and, and see it through and get it out the door. Yeah, totally. It shows totally. You know, you mentioned earlier when you're doing agency work, you're building stuff without talking to users. And it sounds like you're doing a, a lot of that now, right? That I assume that's been super helpful with, with creating new products for, for creative market. Yeah. And th- there's also people that we need to talk to that we're not yet. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Des- design and creativity, but design in particular has been continually decentralized and, and uh, democratized and, and more and more people are being brought into the fold, a certain level of design thinking and execution, even if it's not their, their formal day job to do that work. And so we're having to look at that and we're having to find those people to talk to to see how we can help them uh, and serve their needs too, which is really exciting to be a part of that whole movement. That's been mm-hmm. really exciting to we sort of stumble into it and be a part of that as it's grown over time. I bet that's, that's awesome. Um, Star Trek or Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there was like no segue there at all. I just kind of went into it. That's good. I think no segues are, are, are good jokes. Um, okay. <laughs> that's a good question. I had, so I had a buddy of mine uh, in grade school that was super trekky and um, I watched Star Wars. I think I was in third or fourth grade. I don't know if that's too young, but um, for the next couple of years, we had arguments about what would win a Star Destroyer or a Borg Cube or the Enterprise and stuff like that. So <laughs> but for everything like science-based, I really appreciated Star Trek, but I've always leaned Star Wars because it just has a different, it kind of gets you at your gut, which isn't science, but yeah. Good answer. That's a great answer. I agree. Yeah, science-wise, certainly Star Trek has a leg up there. But yeah, Star Wars, I've always... That's good. Okay, good. Are you still friends? Or <laughs> We are. It's been a while since we talked. Yeah, but um, okay. I ended up drawing a bunch of Star Wars stuff and giving it to him and even bought him like Star Trek figurines. So it was like, all right, like I'll capitulate nice. and, and entertain these debates, even though I know Star Trek's better. So it made for a great friendship. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, and one last question. What's a favorite font you're, you've used lately? Ooh, that's tough. Um, yeah, I know. It's a tough one. If someone asked me that, I probably would be angry. But <laughs> um, So something that we did uh, about a year, year and a half ago was reevaluate everything we're doing type-wise here at Creative Market. Um, yeah. For the longest yeah. time, we inherited and used Museo Sands. and you know, as you keep using things, the debt of changing them sort of grows, right? Um, yes, to replace everything. Definitely. But we did a, a big audit and we looked at, we looked at so many different sans serif faces and we ended up um, finding uh, this type family called the Verda, which I think is really, really well done. Um, that's even sold on creative market, which was extra special. And oh, wow. Oh, that's rolled great. that into both creative market and it's used on market creative market pro. Um, so I'm still really fond of that. That might be an easy answer, but it's, it's the no, one no, that's mind. a great answer though, actually, because the, the type on, on creative market and, and pro are, is great. And I was kind of wondering what that was. So I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you let us in on this. Yeah. Part. And, and is it only available? So it's on creative market available. Yeah. And it's available other places Where too. Um, the other serif type face is called, Lions or Lyons bold. I don't know if it's it's French. Um, yes, but we we did a whole other audit and exploration around what can we bring to the table that isn't sans serif. As I'm sure a lot of people are exploring that too, and 
we landed yeah, on that for, sure. for various reasons too. I thought it was working pretty it's well. It's a great it's a great pairing. Yeah, it looks it looks fantastic. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Averta is is beautiful. Um the page on Creative Market, the the italics of Averta are gorgeous. Yeah, I'd have to say the, the marrying choice. of our our brand work and the product work. I mean, that I just have to say that's so much that goes to Bronwyn and Noah. They worked so collaboratively over the last few months and um, to, to have two people working on two sides of the same system, the brand versus product, and really find that 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 strong combination, um, they just did mm. phenomenal work. I was really appreciative of how deep they went, how hard they worked on it. Yeah, kudos, kudos to them. Then they they nailed it. Um, that's great, Jaron. You know, thanks so much for chatting today. It was awesome to hear, you know, your story and what's going on at Creative Market and. And uh, we really appreciate uh, you being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm still excited about everything y'all are doing at Dribble too, and, and happy to stay in touch and keep moving forward together. Yeah, sounds good. We'll do. Thanks again, Jaron. All right, thank you. This has been Overtime, Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cederholm, and thanks for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks again.